When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. And Aaron, generally we like to kick off the show with a bit of, well, fishing, boating and news, but I'm going to get straight to this this morning because I think it might have been Thursday morning that you sent me a few photos and... I was almost ready to go Instagram live on our Real Adventures site. And you can follow us on our Real Adventures socials on Instagram and Facebook. But the snapper that you landed during the week, quite extraordinary. It was one of the – good morning, I should say, to everyone. Sorry, Patrick. It's uh, one of those days, that Thursday morning, that I was just saying to you off air that it's like it was – once in sort of a season where you get it uh, in the ocean. In the bay, you do get your multiple rods screaming off, whatnot. But in the ocean, it's quite often one or two rods go here and there. In the end, Kano and I uh, ended up resorting to one rod each, and the snapper were literally feeding off their head. So I'm talking every bait we put in the water was pretty much coming up with a snapper. And these fish were up to seven kilo. A lot of that sort of two to three kilo, I was only fishing shallow. I was only fishing in 16 meters of water. So I was happily to release them up to that depth because they say over 10, it's, you starts to hurt them or whatnot. I, I don't, I don't know. I never, I've released a lot of fish. I've never seen fish floating in the bay and whatnot. So I don't believe that's the case. So I'm, I'm comfortable in doing that myself, but in the session itself, it was just, Absolute mayhem. You couldn't. And I said to you, Pat. I said to you, it literally was your ideal day because you love holding the rod in your hand. You love doing, being active with your stupid things that you like casting around. And it was just literally, oh, it was just a absolute splendid session out there. And it was really nice. It was twenty one degrees, a little bit of rain that around, but not too much. It really poured down that uh, Wednesday night. You probably nearly sunk out in mogs, or your water tanks would have filled up. But yeah, well, and we also managed to score a nice uh, five kilo gummy too. And trust me, I like eating gummy just that little bit better than snapper. But it was official. It was the first crazy snapper session for the season. So it's official now, Pat. It's official. So let's take a step back. You fished Thursday morning, and that's when yep. it went off. Let me take you back to Sunday, uh, to Wednesday night. Were you. Was it perfect conditions that had lined up? Was it just, oh, well, it's nice. We'll, we'll go out and see how we go. Why did you plan to go out and fish where you did? Um, talk us through that planning, the tide times, plus let's go through that bait setup from go to woe. So those listening know the exact setup. So when they've got time to head out, and this weekend's a great opportunity to head out and chase the snapper, that they're ready to go. In, in the snapper scene, uh, it's very different from your bait to your ocean. 
Now, your bay fishing is probably I'm, – I'm much more picky when I want to fish in the bay to have results, really good results. And what I mean by that is – when I'm chasing snapper in the bay, I'm picking that southwesterly wind. I like that thunderstorm when fishing during that thunderstorm because usually we get that big calm before the storm and then the storm comes and they feed nuts. There's so many different factors that come into play when chasing snapper in the bay where the ocean, a little bit different. Now, water is still cold. There are some fish being caught at the top end of the Port Phillip Bay. And you might think I'm going to go into a random conversation here, but I'm going to take you through where your mindset goes uh, to leading into the season. So Williamstown starting to see some good fish being caught. You've got up at uh, Black Rock there. Now, if you are fishing Black Rock up at the Marine Park, be careful because last year was disgusting with charter boats and whatnot fishing in that Marine Park. You and I got stuck into them hard, Pat. It was disgusting. 100 boats trying to fish on top of each other. And we've got a, a great tip coming your way uh, at the back end of the show to keep everyone not only accountable but aware of where all those zones are. I um, hope you know what you're talking about there, Pat, because that can be your tip if you want it. <laughs> but it's uh, it's just be smart when you're fishing in the bay. Don't go into the marine park. You're doing uh, this fish there, but there's fish in many other places. It's just how it works. Now, starting to see some good captures. Now, I did a couple of sessions in the bay. Water temp's still cold. No consistency, consistent, no consistency in in the bite whatsoever. So I couldn't pick it. So I said to Kano, rather than chugging the gummies, let's do what we love doing. Let's chase the snapper in the ocean. Right, where are we going to start first? Plan, I had plan A and plan B, and then I would have had to come up with plan C if plan B didn't work. But that was that was after plan B. But we headed out of the Bowen River, and I said, we're going to go in close. We're going to fish a reef that we've got in close. And the reason we're going to start in close, we're going to tie change at 9.30. The swale has been up. Even though it had had dropped during the week, the water's still dirty. The fish should graze up until that tide change, which was at 9.30, should graze up until then, either side of that tide, and that way we should get fish. So righto, perfect. So we went in there. Uh, I, we got there, I think we got there roughly around eight o'clock, about an hour and a half before nothing really happened at the start of the bite. We sort of like let it, let, let, well, we got actually first bait. We got a nice fish around two kilo. We let him go. And then I said, okay, just be patient. There's one here. The school's going to come. But when I sounded up, I marked up patches of different fish. So I marked up different set size fish in this area. So I set up on the, the middle of the school of them. So I didn't go to the back of them or the front of them. I set up in the middle. Uh, the reason I set up in the middle because the tide wasn't pulling there. And now when I say tide change, I'm fishing the water when it's at its strongest in the ocean. So I'm actually running off the head's tide change. So when the actual Port Phillip Bay heads goes slack, not actually Ocean Grove Beach or Mogs Beach. I'm not running off that. I'm running off when the ocean's at its fastest. That's when I believe I get the best bites. So that tide started to kick in by that hour and a half. We had burly like mad. We just run surface burly uh, in, a, in a log. We run it. We cranked it. We cranked it. And sure enough, the fish got thicker and thicker. But what we noticed was the size of them got bigger as the tide got stronger also, Pat. So it started to get more fish and more fish as the tide got stronger. Oh, sorry, bigger fish as the tide got stronger. I'm going to I'm gonna cut in, and I know this will be a question that we will get on our social club next week, so I'm going to short circuit and ask now. Aaron, when I go out fishing and I'm fishing in, in depths of water, I've, I've moved just off the edge of the reef, as you often talk about on our show, and all of a sudden I've burlied heavily and the pickers are everywhere and the really small uh, snapper are everywhere. So how do we short circuit that conversation that no doubt will be engaged during the week? How are you? How are you picking your ground to avoid that? I'm just really politely down the deck hose. 
asking the fish to go away. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, it, a lot of a lot of it luck plays in as well. I'll be honest with you, fishing a little bit of luck comes involved with fishing, but it was a little bit different the way I fish. Even even if when I'm in the bay or in the ocean or whatever I'm doing. So what happened was that these massive reefs, reefs, I was about 80 meters from them. I pushed off them. I know that they're there for a purpose. They're coming into those reefs. They're pushing back out. They're feeding. Now, the closer you go to that reef, the closer you go, the more pickers you're going to have. You don't so, the, want to, so that 80 meters is far enough away where those really small fish are going to feel really nervous about moving that far away from the reef where those big predators are going to come and hammer them. So that's why you're giving yourself that distance. You literally, you literally nailed it, 100%. The further you go away, the less. You watch Finding Nemo, don't go off the edge. That's literally <laughs> exactly the same with the reef fish. And don't get me wrong, there will be fish that move off the reef. They will come out to you. They will do their thing. But we had pickers. But the, the, the thing is, if you're targeting a dominant species, for example, if you're getting rubbish fish, as we like to call them, uh, leatheries and whatnot, when you're whiting fishing, that means generally there's not many whiting there. And you'll notice on your slack tide, you'll get your small bites, your rubbish bites. When the tide starts, those dominant fish, so your whiting will start to overtake. Yeah, when the salmon move in, the salmon are a dominant fish. They'll take over. Snapper, once again, they'll take over that reef and they will dominantly feed on that reef. They will literally feed. They'll be the number one thing to feed. Now, the pinkies, you, once again, they're, they're another reef species. They like holding on reefs, but they will also will come off the reefs. And that comes back to at the start of the session, Pat, when I said to you, I was sounding, I was marking different schools of fish. I didn't mark up pinkies. I marked up your sort of two to three kilo fish, probably your three to fives and a few bigger lone swimmers that were swimming around. And I marked up a lot of fish and I'm actually going to post a social media video during the week. We could actually see the fish under the boat on the sauna. And when we hooked them, we could see them on the sauna. And that's how good technology is. We could actually see where we were bringing them up out of the schools of fish. And you can see the size of those arches going under the boat and the dense redness in them. So you know exactly what you're sitting on. And this is what I talked to you about, learning what you're actually using. Actually learn the equipment that you've got. And I know this is going to stuff your brain, Pat, because you've got about 764 items on this North Bank that you've got coming because <laughs> there's so many different things you need to learn. You've got two kilowatts, you've got side scan, you've got imaging, you've got all sorts of stuff, which is which is great. But once you learn how to use all of that together, the fish nearly have no chance and you can work out what it is. Now, one more thing just with the offshore with the snapper, Pat, I'll go into the bait after this, but one more thing, you need the northerly wind. And when I say northerly, I, I'm talking to your average punter out here. So someone that wants to go out and catch fish. I'm not talking to the expert that wants to go out there fishing 20 knot southerlies and try and chase bluefin tuna. And I love doing that. I love going out in the rough. I love when the tuna feed nuts. But you can't anchor up in 15 to 20 knot southerly comfortably and sit there nicely. You'll be swinging. Baits will be tangling. I like a light northerly wind, which we had Thursday. That was number one that we went offshore. Number two was, okay, back to what I said at the start with Williamstown, the fish are coming in, so they've got to be in the ocean because they've got to come past Port Phillip Bay heads to get up the top of the bay. So the fish have to be moving in and also holding on our offshore reefs, and that's what happened during the week. And it's going to happen. And we've got some beautiful fish in the past weeks offshore, but we hadn't got the numbers that we got the other day. So the numbers, if you are a Port Phillip Bay fisherman only, be confident in yourself that these fish are making their way in and the baits we were using was just those fresh salmon that I've been catching and we've been talking about quite regularly, Pat, and also those big spawning squid that um, around Queenscliff and whatnot that we we're, I've been chasing and stocking up on bait. And oh, I went through that much squid during the week. Like, we were letting go. With all honesty, we would have landed 30-plus snapper up to that sort of six and a half, seven kilo, and it was just, like I said, we won one rod each. It's, it's about as good as what it pretty much got. 
And one thing, Pat, don't use snapper snatches. I didn't use one snapper snatch, and I caught fish. The fish eat the bait. That red color that you put on your hook, that feathery thing, the first color to disappear in water after five meters, Pat, is red. So if you can't, that's why I get so many craze because you can't see me coming because my beard disappears. So when you are, <laughs> when you are down there, those snap, you you will get fish on them, but that's because they're eating the bait that's on the hook. Yeah. Drop it down without the bait and see if you catch a six kilo snapper. That there is a little tip if you want to save yourself a few dollars at the tackle store and make yourself a standard Pat Nostrig. Let's have a bit of a look around the country, Redmond, and find out what is biting right around the country. South Australia at the moment. Yeah, Edinburgh, we spoke about it last week, fished really, really well. Uh, it Whiting, once again, just a big fish pattern. I saw 58 centimetres, 56 and 52 from three different people that were fishing in South Australia during the week, which is crazy to see. And we spoke about this, I reckon, just shy of a month ago. Limestone Coast, uh, those salmon that you love, you used to love targeting down in South Australia there, they are making their way uh, up and down the coast there. Once again, get up high, look for the schools if possible, buy yourself a good set of uh, polarised sunnies. They will be absolute game changer. And just medals, and if you do want to be lazy, like I am, chuck a pilchard on and you'll catch the same amount of fish. Heading to WA, the Kimberley, Pat, pushing up a bit higher, Barramundi. Uh, starting to really, uh, really show themselves. Not no big fish were caught during the week, but I've seen a lot of good fish. So if you are in WA, head up that way. You might have seen our mate Lecker, Mark Lacroix, out of Perth. Uh, I think it was the start of start of the week. He got some fishing with our big man Nick Natnui. He got Stonkers. some absolute monster dew fish. So they're fishing really well too in WA. Uh, just going to talk a bit about those New South Wales yellowfin. You've got JB to Burmy. Uh, they're making their way down south by the looks. Water's 16, 17 out the front of Burmy. Probably not quite right yet, but looks like they are starting to shape up nicely. Port Hacking, some beautiful flathead during the week too, and also some Taylor mixed in with those. And those kingfish that you spoke about too, Pat, I think you gave the report last week on the surface. They are still there as well between in Byron Bay and also at Port Hacking. So you've got two different schools moving to two different areas. Great to see. And Queensland, uh, fishing the run in tide in the Tweed, Mulloway up to sort of 75, 80 centimetres. And something that I'm not familiar that familiar with at all, and I don't reckon you probably are either, is cured worm. So I'm not sure how big these are or how, what's going on there. So if you are in Queensland, send us a photo into the Real Adventures. I'd love to see how you are doing this because it's not something that I do. So cured worm has been landing plenty of nice Mulloway in the Tweed. And also as bycatch, well, when I say bycatch, they're always fun to catch. Taylor, they made themselves uh, really present too with a future valley as well. So that there is your bite around the country at the moment, Patrick. Oh, wait, no, it's not. I'm going to jump in. I forgot Tassie. The Mercy producing really nice brown trout. The Inglis River fishing very well for browns as well. And if you're fishing the south arm, get down there now as well because those Aussie salmon on metals uh, fishing really, really well. And we're just about to kick off the good fishing season, I'll call it. We'll excuse the barrels for the winter because they're always good. But those gummies, those snapper, everything's going to start off tazzy. So make sure you do what I did, load it up on bait. And why they're there, because when you do want to head out and get yourself a schoolie gummy or a snapper or whatnot, even a tazzy trumpeter, that's the bait you want to be using because it's an absolute cracker of a bait. That was the state whip, uh, country whip around, Pat. There you go. Got a massive show of real adventures heading your way this morning. We're chatting with the CEO of Northern Territory Major Events, 
Tim Watsford, as well as Brad Fanning from Sportsbet. They're going to join us uh, a little later in the show to talk about Season 7 of The Million Dollar Fish. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club where we take your questions from social media each and every week. We love to give away a bit of real brand gear for the best questions that you send us in. It's very, very simple. All you need to do is send us a direct message on Instagram or on Facebook. The first one, Redmond, uh, is for you from Grant. Chasing flathead in deeper waters offshore, what bottom do I look for? Cheers, Grant. I'm trying to get that sandy ground as much as possible, Pat. Places where there's sand is where those flathead. We have a lot of sand flathead here. We've got tiger flathead out deeper, but sand is by far the best. That rubbly area, you can hold good flathead, but the problem with the rubbly area, you're going to have your gurnards, uh, your rock cod, your snapper as well, et cetera. But, yeah, your flathead are definitely going to be on that sandy area. And fishing deep, it's about holding the bottom as much as possible, Pat. Like, literally – Whatever sinker you need to hit the bottom, go another two ounces on top of it because flathead live on the bottom. If you got a drift and the wind picks up, it, you might you might not catch anything because they live purely on the sand. So make sure you do get your baits drifting not along the bottom nice and quickly. It might seem like a, a bit of a silly question, but when you're fishing those sorts of depths, clearly it's near on impossible to sound up these sort of fish compared to fishing uh, in, an, in an estuary system where you know they will at different stages venture off the bottom so when we're assessing that as and you're you're looking for that sandy bottom you're looking for the cleanest smoothest bottom on your sounder i suppose yeah you, you, you're spot on it's um you're not looking for the fish what one thing i like to do is i actually like to set up drifts and work out what depth they're in so say if i'm fishing out the back of sorrento uh, on a nice say five knot northerly wind starting 35 meters and get a nice big drift on the sand that you think sand and you might notice that you hit them in four in 38 meters where that way you you work out where the majority of the fish are sitting and you won't have to like drift and cover area so that first drift drifts always my uh testing testing drift i should say and then locate the fish and go from there so often when we talk about whether it be fishing for whiting and there's bait presentation that that comes into it. It's a huge part about uh, what you do. You talk about often pinning uh, the very end of a of a piece of squid. When you're presenting bait for flathead, does it make a huge amount of difference, or yeah. can you pretty much send anything down there? No, you 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 want to you want your baits on the bottom as close as possible. So you want an extended pattern oster rig. So you want the sinker above the hook, the hook hanging behind it. And if you just put your bait on, because you're drifting, it's like tide. It's still you're still moving, and the bait will start to spin. So once again. Shape your bait slightly towards that sort of aerodynamic, that little arrow at the end of it, and pop your hook up the up the narrow end, and that way you're going to have a nice bait that smoothly uh, drifts through the water while you're drifting, rather than tangling and wrapping all up your leader, and you spend more time rigging up again rather than actually catching in fish. Next question is for you, Patrick. Bait casters versus spin. What do you use when estuary fishing? I see a lot of great anglers using bait casters. Should I try them? Pete Simmons. Well, maybe they seem to be great anglers. It doesn't necessarily mean they know exactly what they're doing, does it, Redmond? But I think the, the, the difference between them, I find you can get far greater accuracy. And we've, we've obviously spent, spent a fair bit of time up north as chasing uh, barramundi, and you really need to be accurate with where you land your cast when you're fishing around snags and those sorts of things. Fishing wider estuary systems, it, it's not as 
you don't need to be as accurate. And and I was fishing um, with a mate in Lake Tyres um, a few weeks back, and and it, you didn't need to be super accurate, but you want to make sure you're landing it just off those those sand shallows and the flats, um, bringing it in off the edges, and then you know trying to coerce those big flatties to come up and and nail it. So less important there. But I've always found bait casters are far more accurate. It does does take a little bit of uh, getting used to and no, it doesn't. Want... It takes two casts, mate. Did you not see me in in, in uh, that Barramundi I caught second cast? Don't you remember that? No, you you were excellent. I'll give you that. But I'm <laughs> I'm saying for those that have no, never tried it, pathetic. I had more tangles than I caught fish. <laughs> but for those that have never tried it, it, it is a it is a skill. It, it does take you some right. time. But the the beauty is with bait casters is you can control the speed of your release with the thumb on the line. There's very few reels that you can really do that. You certainly can't do that with spin. You can hold at different stages, I suppose. You can hold the line or just put your your palm over it to try and reduce the speed in the air of a lure. But a bait caster, you've got really fine touch with your thumb, which makes it far easier. So I'd recommend anyone that that, that loves their fishing or, or wants to improve their fishing to certain, certainly give a, give a bait caster a go. It shouldn't just be meant for those chasing uh, barramundi in the top end. You know, we see anglers right throughout East Gippsland and, and, and those chasing um, chasing flathead now. It's the, it's the go-to reel. The same for, uh, for, for bass fishermen and, and alike. So it's certainly worth something getting to, Pete. So I'd, I'd highly uh, recommend it. Aaron, can you talk through docking at your boat with your motor positioning? I can't remember exactly what episode of Real Adventures when you explained how to do it. But I need to know the keys to reversing and using your engine. Cheers, Josh. It's a it's a it's a good question because it's, it can mess with a lot of people's heads because you're actually sort of doing things the opposite way. Now, what I like to do is as I'm now we're going to talk Pat. No, we won't go into tide and surge and whatnot. We'll just talk general. Nice day heading out on a Saturday with the family. That sort of day. Head, you're heading up to the pier. Try and aim for a cleat. Now most piers have cleats on them. Queenscliff, the dominant ramp I use. They've got a lower platform pontoon with a cleat on the side of it. So I'll aim for that. I want that cleat to sort of end up midship, and that way I can tie the boat off to the side of my boat quite quickly. So as I'm aiming for that cleat, I'm coming in on an angle, probably not quite 45, but just under that. I'm heading in, I'm heading in, and then what I like to do is I'm not going too fast yet. It's a nice day, like I said to you. I'm just going nice and slow, and as I'm getting close to it, I tap neutral. So tap neutral, and then I go... Left hand, so if it's the piers on my right, it's the piers on my right hand side, and I'm coming in on the left hand side. As I approach that cleat, I then tap right hand into reverse, and then tap right hand down, and turn my steering wheel actually towards the jetty in reverse. And what that does, it actually stops the momentum of the boat going forward with reverse, and it also then guides your backside into the pier. And with the natural momentum of the boat getting pushed towards the pier you'll end up pretty much smack bang next to it without hitting the pier too hard at all. This is clearly something that, that's good to practice when there isn't too many people uh, in and around the jetties that you're using or the boat ramps that you're using. But speed is a critical component to that, isn't it, As Because as you come in, if you're going too slow, particularly when it's a windy day, um, the canopy can catch wind, you'll drift. Yeah. Speed is your friend, but uh, as long as you use it, the right way. The last yeah. thing you want is to hit the de- is to hit the the jetty at six knots and do some serious damage to your boat. Oh man, I watched a bloke, uh, you know, probably just before winter, literally put his 
I can't remember what it was now. It was brand new. He was just telling me how he just had it, and he literally parked it up on top of the pontoon. <laughs> I, and we were we were in the car about to leave. We was talking to him. I just happened to see him in reverse. Anyway, there was enough people there to help him, which I, they ended up pushing it. I can't remember if they pushed it in. They got it in with it by the time I even turned my head around realistically. But it can be so dangerous using your throttle at the wrong time. That's why I said before it's a nice day. But when you've got wind and other elements coming into play, power is actually your best friend. Power is actually how you maneuver the boat. Think about like a jet ski. Like a jet ski is jet um, pushed along by jets, so water gets pushed uh, pushed through the jet, and that's how you turn the to turn the jet ski. Now, if you're driving a jet ski and you want to turn it, even just to turn it while you're going straight. You actually need to accelerate to turn the jet ski. That just by turning the to actual, get that to get that water pump to get the through. water pump because that's the that's yep. what controls the direction and it's very similar to your engine. If you're just driving straight, relatively slow, and you just turn the steering wheel, yes, it will start to turn naturally because that you're turning the steering wheel a little bit different to a jet ski. But just the example, it just won't turn hard. And if the wind's strong and in a big boat like yours, Pat, uh, a big hard top, the wind can actually take over the strength of the actual uh, engine itself when you're not using power and actually push you the other way still and you might not come around. So you, quite often you'll see me around boat ramps not being an absolute idiot and making a fool of myself, but I'll use power the whole time. Not so much when it's calm, I'll just cruise around when it's calm, but it's those rougher days when I need to get myself out of a situation or if I want to avoid a situation, that's when I'm using my power. And you'll quite often see me fl- flinging my flinging my backside of the boat around everywhere I go because you actually have a lot more control in reverse than you do off than in forward. So as I always say, the nose will always follow the ass where the ass will never follow the nose. That's my number one rule. And that's how you get off a pier. I'll literally be parked up a pier. And if I'm parked on that right-hand side, I'll literally go left-hand down and I'll just tap reverse and the boat will naturally swing out to a 180 and then I go out of Queenscliff. So make sure that you, you, you do practice these things. And if you do practice them, you will perfect them exactly like we have these days. I've actually never heard you ever say that before. I thought you were going to go with bow and stern, but that's fine. No, nah, uh, because that, it sticks in people's heads now. They're like, hold on, what was that there, bow and stern? That's ordinary. <laughs> that wraps our social club. Good on you, Pete. I reckon your question around bait casters, and that's a little bit of self-fulfilling because I love them, is a ripper. So you're our winner for this week. Here's the angler. You're the angler who's been watching by the sounds of it. <laughs> if you want to join in the conversation, make sure you send into a uh, you send in a question to our Real Adventures socials to join in the conversation. Up next, gearing up. This is Real Adventures. Gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Uh, this morning, we're chatting with CEO of Northern Territory major events company, Tim Wattsford, and Brad Fanning from Sportsbet. It is the million dollar fish. It's season seven, essentially. Boys, welcome to Real Adventures this morning. It's an exciting initiative. Hey, Pat. Yes, it is an exciting initiative. We love it. Yeah, good day, Pat. Good to be here. It is, uh, yeah, season seven. Who would have thought rolling around for um, for another six months of on-water action, so to speak. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the concept and how it started, talk us through Million Dollar Fish. So, Pat, it seems like a long time ago, we um, we started uh, with a sports bet and uh, NT major events and NT tourism 
devise a way to try and encourage people to get to the MT over the shoulder periods and, and during the uh, the wet season and over the shoulder periods. So for six months of the year, you can come up here and chase a famous red tag, win yourself $10,000 or get really lucky and have a great day in the water and win a million. It's been going for, for some time now. From season one to now, can you talk us through how it's been received nationally? Because we talk about it every year that it's on, on on Real Adventures and it invokes a huge amount of attention from, from our listeners. Can you talk about how it's evolved? The reach has been terrific. We've been covered by, you know, uh, every major fishing um, channel and, and brand through, uh, throughout the nation. We've had the project uh, do a good run on us. We've had the Today Show and Carl Stefanovic as well as um, uh, Sunrise and, and Koshi. And so we we think um, the NT is the greatest fishing destination in the world and I'd encourage everyone to get up here. Barramundi is the iconic species to target when you are up here. So we uh, we got involved with uh, with these guys to, uh, to add a bit of excitement to fishing. Let's talk about the excitement to fishing. Have... Has it encouraged more people to take up fishing as a recreation? I mean, we've seen, particularly over the last 12 months, it has gone berserk, whether it be recreational boating and sheer interest in fishing because people are no longer travelling overseas. But what's it done for the NT? Yeah, mate, good good, good question. Um, a lot in, in its simplest form. So we, we at major events kind of really try and uh, attack events or projects that drive an economic outcome um, for the territory so whether that be you know a tourist coming from either you know from across the world or, or within australia to try and drag them up the territory to experience everything we have to offer this is an amazing property that effectively is, is a bucket list item um what we're hearing now in particular a COVID, um, a COVID riddle world, so to speak, is those bucket list items that potentially hadn't hadn't been done before are now coming up the list. Um, you know, to put it to put it blankly, people might have gone overseas at Christmas time as opposed to as opposed to where they are now. They're coming to the NT to chase a barra. So from a from a delivery perspective, it's punching well above its weight, mate. Locally as well, our data is saying that this property is injecting more than you know forty million bucks worth of economic stimulus into into the territory. That can be everything from an outboard to a to a tinny to a lure bait ice whatever that might be it's yeah it's going it's going pretty strong and i suppose this is the flow on obviously with all local businesses from from coffees to ham and cheese toasties you know it ice and beer as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've probably missed the point there haven't i with the, the coffees and the territory slightly cooler <laughs> <laughs> the um, there's one bloke who caught a fish in season two and he won ten grand, and he spent seventeen thousand on his boat. So um, that was all local New Sounders, checker plate, everything else. <laughs> he was that. I, I like the fact that you brought up um, a, a story of it. What what's been some of the great stories that you've heard around? Um, I suppose the the seven seasons or six seasons that. Um, it's been in for because if there's one thing that excites fishermen, it's obviously the the fact that they can use this as an excuse to tell their wives that, all right, there's there's something on the the end of this and a line for this. What's some of the great stories? Some of the yeah, there's been there's been some really interesting ones of the the locals that where the wife used to um, really uh, 
get a bit uh, full on when they were out on the water and wanting to go to the water to now being pushed onto the water and why don't you just go and have a flick and go and do your best. But uh, there was one, there's been a heap of them. Every, you know, as you know, every fish has got its own story of why you're in that mark and why you're doing you know, that method at that time. But there was one guy in the first season or two that his mother had, um, the, the, the mum had, had butchered the boy's haircut so the kid didn't want to go to school. So the dad had friends coming up for a wedding and said, right, I'll take you all out. We won't let old mate, the young kid, go to school. And they were on the water that day and won themselves 10 grand, which was which was fantastic. It's one of the things that we all love about fishing, that the stories that come from it. Let's talk about registration and, and how to go about doing that. Yeah, absolutely. We're trying to we're trying to drive as much people, obviously, through through the territory to try and, you know, come up and enjoy everything we've got to offer, as I mentioned before. Get online, milliondollarfish.com.au is is kind of the call to action and website. And uh, look, you have to be registered to to claim that red tag or to claim that cash. Um, so that's an absolute that's an absolute must as part of our T's and C's. But look, as part of as part of registering, you don't you don't effectively um, have to catch a fish to win. So we've got a really really good uh, faithful set of partners that some have been with us for the full seven seasons. God love them. Um, that are offering up, you know, north of 50 grand worth of prizes every year, and and they and they go off systematically throughout the the six months of the season. So there's there's a ton of stuff to get on. Registrations are up um, year on year. So to your point before, mate, fishing is is one of those things now that that is growing, um, and now this property as well is is really giving a reason to to go and wet a line and come up and enjoy the top end. Uh, in terms of dates and official openings, we're talking the first of October, twenty twenty one, and runs and through uh, runs through to the thirty first of March, twenty twenty two. You spoke about the the ten thousand um, dollar tags. Can you talk about also the uh, the, the charity partners? Because this is a really important part around what you do. Um, it's not just those that are the the lucky fishermen that reel in the fish. There's more to it than just that. Absolutely. So over the years, we've had lots of charity partners and activate our charity partners in different ways. For season seven, we will be donating every red tag that gets caught, every $10,000 tag, we will donate $1,000 to the charity. So in the past, we've had you know 15 to 20 tags caught each year. And then um, the Fisho will pick one of three specifically Northern Territory charities, being the NT Cancer Council, um, Shoreline, which uh, does a lot of work in the Indigenous uh, space for training kids to become Indigenous fishing guides, and as well as the NT Starball for the Starlight Foundation. And uh, when the million dollars goes off, there'll be a, a $10,000 check to, that, to, to one of those charities. Before we let you go this morning, boys, and thanks again for joining Real Adventures, can you give us a bit of an indication on where you've released <laughs> these fish? This is what we want to know. And, and, and in particular, where are these million-dollar barra? <laughs> well, if you have a look at the website, Pat, you know that they're um, in the five regions and we, we've got million-dollar tags in each one of those five regions being across the width and breadth of the Territory. So far, we're only you know 15 or 16 days into, um, into Season 7. Uh, two ten-thousands have gone off so far. One of those went off at the Daily Crossing, uh, land-based, and uh, the other one went off at Cullen Bay, just on the uh, near the Mandora Wharf there. So that's uh, a fairly big difference between those two, but they're everywhere. 
and uh, probably just getting to the NT and doing your best is, uh, is probably the, the other. I mean, if next year, Pat, if you get some time, we'll uh, get you, <laughs> if you can get up here, we'll get you to tag a couple for us. Well, boys, we, we can't wait for it. It's something that uh, excites everyone. There's no doubt about that. So um, can I just get you to once again rehash information around registering because that's a critical component to it uh, and also the dates because um, there's a window there uh, and you wouldn't want to cost yourself, you know, potentially a million dollars uh, catching the fish of a lifetime. Um, that would be the greatest fishing story ever told. Mate, mate, mate absolutely. So to, just for, for the detail, you've got 100 chances to win 10,000 bucks that are out there. Uh, then also you've got eight chances to win the million dollars. So there's effectively eight red tags. Uh, Sportsbet have been kind enough to activate those previous year's million dollar tags as well. They're across all regions, across the five regions that you'll see on the website, milliondollarfish.com.au, have to be over 18 and have to register in the order to uh, claim your prize when you pull that red tag on board. So make sure you jump on, have a squeeze through the T's and C's um, and be the chance to win some prizes along the way. It's, yeah, free to enter across there and the million dollar numbers last for the whole season. So if you're getting up once our season finishes, those million dollar numbers will stay stay live until we can get one of them caught. Tim, Brad, thank you for joining Real Adventures this morning and talking about season seven of the million dollar fish. It could be the greatest fishing story ever told. Gents, thanks for your time this morning. Go on your patch. Thanks, mate. Thank you. That was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. It's now time for Red's Review, our product review of the week. And Aaron's got some new rods and he's going to go through them this week. He's going to talk about offshore. He's going to talk about inshore and what you should use when fishing for squid. And Samurai is our focus for this morning. I actually got an order during the week uh, from Frogley's Offshore with my Samurai rods. Uh, Every season, I, I like to update my rods with the new technology and what's going on. Now, it's not super important, but it is relevant to the fishing that you're doing. And the reason I say that is I actually upgraded the size of my snapper rods. Now, I was running 15 to 25-pound uh, snapper rods last year, Samurai Reactions, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with them. And like I said to you before, snapper rods. Now, they were they were literally snapper rods. So using them offshore for gummies or anything else was a little bit light. So what I've actually done is I upped them half of them to 20 to 40 pounds and the other half to 20 to 30. Now, the reason for it is, for example, this week I fished offshore, got some beautiful snapper. We also got a bit of bycatch of, uh, and we got a nice gummy. We got a nice big ray. We got a few Port Jacksons and a few things in between. Now, when you are, offshore you don't know what you're going to catch where in the bay traditionally you know you're going to get the snapper so for me it's about not having a hundred different rods it's about having the rods that i need but it's going to cater for both now with technology that 20 to 30 pound and that 20 to 40 pound i don't even notice the difference between them when i'm actually fighting snapper to be honest they're exactly the same but what comes down to it is actually the strength through the whole rod in in itself so you can actually when you do get those bigger fish you can feel the rod bending through the bottom half of the rod towards the handle more and actually using the rod the taper of the rod to catch that fish rather than using your back and your arms and that's the benefit of it so off upping the 15 pound on it from that 15 to 30 and whatnot exactly what i said to you earlier it does make that difference so if you do want to save some money and buy better gear rather than having multiple gear make sure you do buy 
uh, yourself gear that's going to cater for both, but it's also going to be nice to use. You're not going to notice the difference too much. And with the squid rods, I posted I had the new eggy squid rod from Samurai. Now, people go, well, what's the difference between a squid rod and a whiting rod? Now, to tell you the honest truth, not a hell of a lot. They work really, really well, just normal whiting rods for squid. But where they do benefit you, I believe, is land-based, land-based massively. So when you are land-based fishing and you, you need to cast out, these rods will cast an absolute mile for you. But not only that, if you hook a nice two-kilo squid, the rod tapers so slow all the way through the rod so it goes from the tip right through to the handle and you can see that whole arch over like a snapper on your sauna it literally arches all the way over where your whiting rods traditionally they tend to bend more at the tip like they're more noticeable at the tip rather than being that a taper through the whole rod in itself so they will catch you bigger squid as well if you, so you don't pull the actual jig out of their head. If you are catching big three-kilo squid in the deep water with a big sinker, the rod will bend nicely as that squid pulsates. So that there is Red's tip for the week. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. It's time for Red's tip. Now for Red's tip this week, we all do this. I... Uh, well, I don't do it anymore because I've got my head around it, but I see everyone doing it. And what they're doing is putting eyes through their rods. Now, this sounds simple and effective, but I'll tell you what, I don't reckon there's any worse feeling is having a fishing rod, putting all the line through the eyes of it, and you get to the top, and then the line falls all the way back through down to the bottom, and you've got to go back and put it all the way back up again. Now, how to avoid this? Don't put the rod at the base of your foot and start putting it up so you're then reaching above your head. Lay the rod down flat towards the cabin of your boat or towards the end of the pier. Trip the guy over if you have to on the end of the pier. Lay it flat and actually walk up the rod in itself and have it sitting at your waist or head height so you can put the the, the line through. And it's not going to fall all the way back down. It's just going to fall out one eye and stop at the next. So Red's tip this week is literally simple. Don't stand there and put the eyes through vertical. Get it nice and flat and put it put it all and walk along the rod in itself and you'll have a much better time putting the line through the eyes of your rod. Now it's time for the flying gaff. Take it away, Pat. All right, Redmond, finishing off the show, it's the flying gaff. And I'm not sure if you've been keeping uh, abreast of what's been happening in the used car segment, Aaron. But at the moment, if you have had in your possession at some stage throughout your life and perhaps it's still sitting in the garage uh, a hsv a gtsr you know those sort of maloo utes you remember those ads you had it you had a whole new at one it point was, it wasn't quite a maloo that's for sure <laughs> well the gaff this week is uh is going to well perhaps it's going to us but it's going to those that are asking for up to hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for these cars. Pat, $300,000 to nearly be exact. Sorry to buddy and keep going. <laughs> but more importantly, the people that are paying that amount of money for these cars, so the flying gaff for this week, Redmond, goes to them. What did you look up during the week? You sent it to me. It was like $300,000 for a car that had done, this was new, so it had done like 47,000 clicks. But the the prices for X. Well, a GTSR, a GTSR with 47 kilometres, you're looking at th- that short price of 300 grand. And if you have – but even with 50,000 kilometres on the clock, you're looking at just a small 
$1,000. So it's compared to a BMW M5, around $246,000. So you're an idiot if you're buying those. That's my opinion. Well, I think there's better money to be spent on boats, friend. <laughs> boats and fishing gear. Anyway, this has been Real Adventures. Thanks for your company this morning. We'll see you on the water next week. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.